filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. This weekend was ridiculously nice outside. It was in the 60s or close to it. Um, so uh, we went to uh, a playground that has a nice big turf field. And everyone there is pretty pretty well masked, which is important <laughs> these days. And I kicked a soccer ball around in earnest for the first time in years. And it was super fun. And I can still mostly kind of do it. Um, I haven't totally forgotten. Uh but my legs now do not want to work <laughs> at all. When I go up the stairs, it is it is an endeavor today. So do we need to get you one of those uh, uh, like a stair lifts that'll just like uh, trundle you up the up your stairs by yourself? One hundred percent. Patreon patrons, um, there you go. Chip in and, and <laughs> I, 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 I get me a chairlift. No, I refuse to let my percentage of the Patreon Spend. money be used for that. Find a different thing to spend your money on than helping Adam up the stairs while he's sore today. Um, and and by the time you're saying this is not a chronic, are you saying this is not a chronic ailment? My legs are sore. I mean, if you forever. continue to work on them, there will be a brief interregnum where they do get sore this to this extent. But then, if you keep going, eventually they'll stop because you'll be in better shape. Or if you just wait until your kids are bigger, they can carry you up the stairs. Mm, now you're talking. That's years away, though. My get legs them, are sore today. Uh, if I you mean, want, get them exercising. Get them strong. I don't think they're <laughs> that far away from being able to maybe drag you up the stairs. Maybe not carry you, but right, they're not going to do like a full overhead. Six and three. Um, yeah, but they, if, we, if we can get like some good uh, harnesses on them, uh, and yeah, combined, my legs combined, they weigh less than my legs do. Well, sure, it's not going to be easy. Ben didn't say it was going to be easy. Yeah. Can I? Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, <laughs> the Black and Red United, and I am Sore and Lazy podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley, uh, who are not willing to share their share of our Patreon with my sore legs. We want your children to be strong. <laughs> Clearly, this is strong. This, this is, is all about the goodness this is of your all heart. about your children. Adam, powerful, care for powerful your children. small children who will. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are thinking of the children. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we mostly talk about DC United, and we'll be doing that in the second segment. Uh, first up, we will be talking about this weekend's MLS Cup, which was totally not surprising, went absolutely to script. Uh, hashtag narrative was served in every way, uh, or, or so I'm told. Um, we'll get to that in a second. First, though, Ben, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Aldi's finest uh, double bottle of Pinot Grigio. It has a screw top. It claims it's from Italy, imported from Italy. I have my doubts, but it's a perfectly acceptable Pinot Grigio. All right. Jason. 
so I went on, Adam's talking about how it was nice out. So I did a little uh, hike. I met a friend in a parking lot. We did a hike uh, walking uh, far enough apart. We were kind of having to yell at each other to have a conversation during our, our brief hike near the Tapsco. Uh, and then we came back to the parking lot and uh, he had brought a six pack of beer uh, in a cooler. And then he was like, just take the rest. Uh, I got too many beers. So I came home with the remaining four beers from a sixer of Brooklyn Winter Lager, nice. uh, which is what I am drinking. And it's very, very good. The Winter Lager format is, I think, getting a little more popular. And I would like to encourage brewers to pursue it because it's it's pretty good. It's the right beer for these these times. Well, and now it's getting cold again. So, yeah, perfect time now. Uh I have uh, just a pour of Johnny Drum straight Kentucky bourbon, which is pretty tasty. Yeah, that'll do. Yep. Yeah, it's, I was going to make a drink and then I, like a, I was going to make an old fashioned with some of the syrup I still have from Thanksgiving and decided I'm just going to pour some bourbon in a glass and enjoy it. Uh, On to the soccer, the actual yeah. soccer, not me kicking a soccer ball while being soccer out of time. shape. Soccer time. <laughs> All right. The Seattle Sounders were inevitable. The playoff juggernaut destined to blow past any mortal team that dared oppose them. A champion team more worthy. Sorry. Holding my finger to my ear here. I'm being told the Sounders lost three to nothing to the Columbus crew in the MLS Cup final. Huh. The shorthanded Columbus crew. (laughs) Yeah. The the Columbus crew, Sands, Darlington Nagby, Sands, Pedro Santos, uh, just wrecked the Sounders. a very controlling performance. They they did what they did to the Sounders what you would expect them to do to DC United this year. Just pinned them back and did not relent. This was um not what anybody expected uh to happen in this game, but in hindsight it makes sense that's what the Columbus crew wanted to do. They pressed more Caleb Porter got it exactly right, Jason. Yeah, um the the pressure in the early part of the game was especially Um, it it really set the tone Um, and the game never really got away from it until Columbus decided to uh, drop their, drop their line a little. Um, The choice of Derek Etienne uh, to replace Santos among the options that they had um, was kind of one that people didn't really talk too much about. Like I wrote the preview for our site and I said it would probably be Yunus Mukhtar who plays more like Pedro Santos um, I even saw a couple other people speculate that maybe Columbus would play a low block uh, counter style and then they would play Emmanuel Boateng uh, of all players um, to get him on the counter to, to get you're right just to get his speed out there. Um, Etienne was like the third man in those discussions and it was like well they could also put Derek Etienne out there um, but he is the best high press player of that trio. And, He's a Red Bull product. Yeah um, and I think it's not that you know, he wasn't, like, he did score a goal, and it was a really well-taken goal, um, but it wasn't so much that he was the key to the game, so much as he symbolizes how the crew dealt with what they were dealt with, or, you know, the hand they were dealt, which was missing some players, uh, missing Darlington Nagby means you can't control the game in the way they like to with possession, um, so you say, okay, fine, we're, we're not going to be a possession team, uh, but we're not going to sit deep either. We're going to make this a game that's more hectic than Seattle likes to play. Um, we're going to make it more about transition play, and we're going to get in Seattle's face. Um, the same thing goes with um, Nagby's replacement being uh, Aiden Morris. He is the more ball winner type 
um, of the players they had to choose from to replace Darlington Nagby. So again, they took the player who was faster, more physical, um, more willing to get stuck in and, and make make the game kind of a living hell for the other team. And uh, I think Seattle did not see that coming. And it makes, you know, when you have a, a solid concrete plan that you've sketched out and you know everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing and the other team does not anticipate it, this these can be the kind of things that happen. And Seattle looked kind of lost for um, much of the first half. And by then the damage was done. Um, once Columbus got that second goal, it really became like, you know, C- Seattle's very good at getting themselves out in front. And I know in the semifinal, they came back against Minnesota, but um, to not to be too harsh on Adrian Heath, but I feel like he's not the best coach for protecting a two nothing lead at Seattle in the playoffs uh, because he's the kind of coach that is like, we can continue doing what we've been doing. We don't have to make very many adjustments. Uh, Caleb Porter said, I lost some players that are key to the, our plan a, I have to make adjustments and Seattle didn't, for whatever reason, didn't anticipate. It seemed like Seattle didn't anticipate any adjustments, which is strange to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, I think it, was, they, it was a coaching victory for sure. That- I I assume they they thought what everyone else did that if Columbus respond if Columbus does adjust it'll be to avoid trying to go toe to toe, seeing how Sid, like Seattle had trouble breaking down a low block all year so that's the obvious choice and Caleb Porter, to use a cliche he zagged and it, it worked really really well for him. Um, two time MLS two time MLS Cup winner Caleb Porter. You know, all he does is win MLS Cups in Columbus. <laughs> I wonder what happens now that they're going to move to the stadium, uh, the the new stadium, uh, if if he can continue that, or if, or if this applies to the greater Columbus area, yeah. or just is his magic just only is his magic only good on the state fairgrounds, right. or does it extend to downtown? Well, I, I guess we'll find out because. Uh, as Charlie Bohm wrote today at MLSsoccer.com, the the crew seemed pretty well set up for a. Yeah. A continued spell of success. No, um, not a lot of old guys. Not a lot of guys where you're like, oh, that guy's going to leave anytime soon. Um, yeah. And I will yeah. just say, I just, I just love that as uh, Austin is entering the league, this is just like a double barrel salute to uh, to them, to them entering yeah. the league, uh, straight to Anthony Precourt. Yeah. Right. Right. They want. I've never seen a championship won at somebody. <laughs> as much as this one was right um hey we haven't mentioned lucas zellerion yet which you have to this was right. maybe the best individual performance in an mls cup final i i can remember uh I, I i don't have a strong recollection of the early ones but this two goals and an assist and just a dominant performance from the number 10 from the seven million dollar designated player yeah. Uh, in his first year in the league after dealing with injuries and sickness and a weird ass year to to close it out like that i mean respect to the guy yeah it, 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 he's a fascinating player because uh and i tweeted about this during the game which or after the game, which is that some of the there are at least some underlying metrics out there american soccer analysis is uh goals added uh metric which is really fascinating um that metric really did not like Lucas Elrion at all this year. Um, he was r- routinely getting uh, putting up a negative score on that that metric, um, and and not just like just barely, like pretty well down there. Um, 
And at the same time, he was capable of these special plays that kind of bailed Columbus out. And it's like, well, is he actually good or is he good in moments, but also like a net negative? Is he one of those players that um, comes through for you in the big moments that everyone remembers? But when you look underneath the hood, you're like, actually, they could be better with somebody else there that's less spectacular and just doesn't make as many small mistakes. Um, In this game, he didn't make many small mistakes. uh, And he also did all the good stuff. So it was like, all the all the things that make him that set him apart uh you know the i mentioned that second goal and if you go look at the highlight there's a moment in there where john strong is very much expecting zellerion to go to goal columbus has made I think everybody goal. was which is what and, made the pass <laughs> right and zellerion just has that sense to like take a second just have a just have a second where he's on the ball he's not even not even touching it it's just near him and everyone is like frozen because he doesn't do the thing that everyone thinks he's going to do and in that moment, he sizes up his pass to uh, Derek Etienne, and there's only ever one defender even sort of close to Etienne. And it still took a good finish, like that curling shot in the lower corner is not an easy one. Um, but the goal comes from Zellerion being just a high-level player in terms of being calm on the ball, having a sense of how much time he has around him, that sort of sixth sense that a player has where, like, I know I'm not about to be tackled from behind I know the center back isn't going to get to me in time if he does decide to step. Um, that kind of thing where you can fool people even with a look, where you know you make a look and the center back freezes and goes flat-footed, and they're like, well, now I definitely he's not going to close me now. Um, all of that stuff, he buys that from how skillful he is on the ball. Like once you show people that, you can then show them all these other you know tricks you can do um, because people are afraid of the first one, which is like, well, this guy could, you know, score from 25 yards. I've, I need to close him. And then it's like, well, what if I go over here? And it's like, oh, there's too many things right now with this guy. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, so yeah, uh, he scored the two goals. He got the assist. Um, Seattle didn't really have a good handle on him. I think, I think ultimately there's something to be said for Seattle's, uh, player selection, uh, certainly not helping in that regard because they right. made a couple choices that I think Sounder, our, our Sounders friends were probably like, saw this coming, not happy about it. Yeah, Brian Schmetzer for the entire playoffs. Uh, he danced with the one with, with uh, he danced with the one that brung him uh, over and over. He'd made no changes throughout the playoffs. He did the same thing when they won the cup last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a couple of players who were injured at the start of the playoffs who came back, who were starters, who did not get back into the starting lineup. Uh, Svensson was one, um, and then uh, right back, uh, the name's escaping me, but but Alex Rodon started there, which yeah, overkilled him might not have been the, the Leardom. That's right. Yeah, that might have not have been the right choice there. Um, and that's the you know the first two goals both came from that you know it, they were back post, I guess technically, but uh, the danger on starts on that Alex, side. Yeah, and it, it's finished on uh, on Alex Rodon's side on the mm-hmm. right backs post so you gotta you gotta look at that i i understand what schmetzer's thinking there but he went too far one way when they lost to toronto and too far the other way this time so who knows what happens uh in the future i one thing i want to ask there was a stat posted on twitter and i i didn't write down who who it was that posted this so i could give it credit but it's not my original thought the sounders have only scored in one of the four mls cup finals they've been in are they actually that dominant? I mean, they got to four MLS Cups in five years. So on one level, yes. But 
even the one that they scored in, which obviously they they won, uh, that goal came what an hour into the game, and Toronto was bossing the game to that point. So they they've scored in one game of the four, and when they did that originally, it was against the run of play. I mean, so, yes, but yes, they're dominant. Uh, and just the the fact that you, it it's a different skill set to be dominant throughout the regular season and and playoff games than in a one off cup final. Um, and all especially these playoff games are one-off games. They just, I mean, this year, don't show but up not, to the same degree and last year and the year before. Um, but yes, I, th- I think getting to the, getting to MLS cup final is, is, is proof enough. Uh, I would, I, I, I would definitely say they're still dominant despite the fact that, uh, that they don't score a lot in the finals. Now, if you could obviously pick apart their, 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 cup final selections in their cup final play, but I don't think that invalidates getting to MLS cup. Right. No, of, of course not. But are they any good in these finals? Like the, the first one they won, they didn't have a single shot on goal <laughs> and they won in a, the penalty shootout. Like, well, they, I, it, I guess what I would say is there's a certain, because we, we all, we all don't follow the sounders, but we can all tell you basically what they're going to look like. Um, and that's not necessarily great. It does it does say stability. It's not all bad. Like it says, like right. there's a plan. It's a clear plan. It's stable. Uh, the key cogs in that machine are doing really well. Um, so it says a lot. Like I feel like if if you told DC United fans that we could have the next coach is going to have to bring a clear plan in which the key cogs on the team all play really well and the team keeps going far in the playoffs, people would take it. Um, but there is something very MLS to there being a team that kind of is just like, well, this is who we are and this is what we do. And that's that because it means that every other coach in the league has had time to concoct a plan for you. Um, and the Sounders, I think the Sounders, a lot of times from not necessarily personnel, because there are not, there is not another Nico Ladero in MLS. And I would argue there's also not another Jordan Morris or Raul Ruiz Diaz. They're players that play the positions they play in a very unique way for the league. Um, But the overall, like the basic sketch of this plan is pretty normal for MLS. Um, This is not, they don't play unique soccer. They just play a very MLS brand of soccer extremely well. Um, They defend well. They set their best players up to thrive. And that's it. It's, It's not a brilliant plan it's just a solid plan that's being executed at a really brilliant level on a regular basis but for a final what that means is that people know what your plan is and people have prepared for it they've had time to say like this is how we deal with this broad sketch um of a plan i'm thinking now of um back when this is actually something that happened to me this year which feels bizarre to me because it also feels like a memory from 2016 um but back at the convention uh, after the NWSL draft, the day after that, uh, Jill Ellis gave a talk at this coaches convention that um, it was free to, it was just, if you want to come in and sit down at this thing, walk in, there was no, that's the cool thing about the convention. And I hope that this, that the, the coronavirus doesn't end up causing convention to become totally virtual because, I mean, I guess those things become more accessible, but there's probably more likely they're going to ask you for some money to get into any of it. Whereas, um, if you're in the convention hall as media, you can just wander into things um, that aren't ticket-based. So Jill Ellis had this talk about how they plan for the World Cup as a tournament. 
And one thing she said was like very quickly in their very, very early scouting was like all of these teams play four, two, three, one. Um, and so to save time, effectively, they were like, we're going to all plan. We're going to plan for the basics of four, two, three, one, because almost certainly every team we play is going to be playing it. Um, and the teams that aren't playing it will be playing five, four, one, because it's the group stage. And, you know, unfortunately for Thailand, they, everyone knew coming into that game, how that was going to go. Um, and it's something they've seen before as well. Like the bunkering lower level opponent is something that women's national team is very familiar with. Um, and so she saved time uh, by saying like, this is sort of the broad bones of a team. And this is how they go about playing out of this formation. Um, this is the mindset they tend to have against us. The lower level teams are going to sit deep. A team like France or England might step up a little higher, but that's about it. Um, and this is something that you can do with the Brian Schmetzer Seattle Sounders. Um, I still think he's a pretty excellent coach. The team has made it this far. You know, the, the consistency involved there is too much. It's too overwhelming for you to say he's a bad coach, which some people were trying to take that argument, which – Right. I wasn't going that far. I'm not saying they, they don't show up in the, the final. Right. They have, they have had trouble <laughs> in the finals. Extent. And I think it's to, to a certain extent because they're a little too predictable. Um, and I think they've also, when you get to a final in MLS, Caleb Porter's willing to change his tactics. Greg Vanny is notorious for changing his tactics for a given opponent. Um, in recent years, that has been a thing. Um, if you get to a final, you've probably become a coach that can shift things around and make some fairly remarkable adjustments. Tata Martino abandoned his, the style that everyone loved for that playoff run for Atlanta by becoming more low block and more transition. Um, Being able to play two different ways in MLS is a huge deal. There's a reason. I mean, Chris, Chris Armas didn't do a good job with the Red Bulls, but the reason he was trying to change who the Red Bulls were was that everyone saw like, okay, Jesse Marsh's plan, the Red Bull soccer plan it's pretty good for the regular season, but then teams get to the playoffs and they know how to deal with it on a one-off and it doesn't work. So we need to have a different plan for those big games. Um, the problem wasn't that concept. It was the execution of that different plan. Um, the Sounders are generally a team that don't have a different plan. Um, they don't, they want to refine the plan they've got. And that comes, there's a double-edged sword. And this is the downside is that when you get to a final, everyone knows what you're going to do. And so they're prepared for it. That's all I got on the, on the final. So if you guys are comfortable with that, um, you know, I'm sure the Sounders will be back in MLS Cup next year and we'll see what happens then. Um, it, it, MLS soccer, it's a very simple facing, thing. Facing 20, an upstart DC United uh, coached go. by Gonzalo Pineda. That, I mean, I'll take it. I, I will take that. But, you know, as the old saying goes, soccer is a very simple game. 22 guys run around for 90 minutes and in the end, Seattle's an MLS cup. So, so we'll see you there next year, Seattle, I guess until then we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back to talk about the expansion draft. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and, uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to, uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you called the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. 
That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the Ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. With MLS Cup now behind us, the offseason gets going in a hurry. Uh, already the the legendary half-day trade window has has come and gone. Um, very well known around the world, the half-day tra- trade window, the morning after MLS Cup. Um, and the seemingly annual expansion draft happens tomorrow, Tuesday, um, as we record this tonight on Monday night, teams have released their protected lists, so we know who's available in the expansion draft. Um, so we're we're going to talk about DC United, how they are looking going into this expansion draft because they are one of the 16 teams in the league that is um, eligible to have a player selected. Uh, Austin FC is going to select five players. Anyone who had a player taken last year by Nashville or Miami is exempt they don't have to worry about protecting anybody because no one can be taken from their team uh no team of the 16 can lose more than one so uh the lists are they 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 matter right now uh one player who is not anywhere on dc united's list is ulysses segura who was dealt during that half day trade window to austin for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gam which is uh pretty good business it's more than i thought the the team would get for him when steve goff reported this was potentially in the works so uh good luck to uli he's uh obviously a very versatile player but i don't think particularly high end at any position he can just play all of them at a a, at 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 least a replacement player level which is for an expansion team that's a good tool to have um so it makes the trade makes perfect sense for austin i think and dave casper getting every penny he could out of uh, who's who's is it Reyna who's running the show in Austin now? Uh, I Actually, believe that's yeah. I think Claudio Reyna's the the GM down there because Austin has been trying to hire people that were already in the league, be it Nolan Sheldon or yeah. Josh Wolf or Claudio Reyna. Um, Isn't Davey Arnaud a, a uh, an assistant on, down there now? Yeah, too? he is on Josh Wolf's uh, coaching staff. Right. As as has been said, the uh the tree and, and in Austin is, FC's logo is the Ben Olsen coaching tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that their coaching staff right now is Josh Wolf with Davey Arnode and Nolan Sheldon as as two of his three assistants. So um it is very much uh a DC familiar group of guys. Um I will say I don't know that I when the figures came through for the Segura trade, I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Like it, it just didn't elicit much of a reaction. Yeah. But seeing some of the other figures that some other players uh got out of Austin, I think um it's not it's not enough money for me to say that it was a bad move, but like Segura getting less uh garnering less than 
John Gallagher, uh, Atlanta got a hundred thousand more for John Gallagher than DC did for Ulysses Segura. And that is maybe a little like John Gallagher showed some flashes this year, but I don't know if he's actually better than Ulysses Segura, uh, at much other, he's maybe more goal dangerous, but maybe less defensively sound. Um, I don't know if he's worth more. Um, but you know, ultimately one, it's not enough money to get too worked up about. Um, it's not great, but it's not bad. Um, right. And it also, is, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. It, it clears space for DC United to protect someone who's yes. because of the international slots, the requirements around who you have to protect if they're international. Um, this it, allows DC United to to have a pretty well managed exposed list, I think. And it also clears uh, salary cap space for DC United because I think, as uh, Steve Goff reported, Segura was due for a uh, quote substantial raise going into 2021 uh, over his current salary. His 2019 salary, because we don't have 2020 salaries, was 185 probably ticked up a little bit to 190, 200-ish for 2020. And then if it's a substantial raise over on top of that, then he could be pushing 250, 300 Mm -hmm. and clearing that off the cap when you have Griffin Yao and Kevin Paredes and other homegrown signings uh, ready to go is is a good bit of business. I I looked it up. John Gallagher is making less than half of what uh, the – Yuli Segura is making at least in 2019, so it could also be a a, a cheapness factor as well. But I think it's a good yeah, bit of business. Is a, is a value. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good bit of business. It reminds me of when Dave Casper uh, got Dejan Yakovic's uh, big salary off the book, transferring him to uh, Japan uh, back in the day uh, for. Uh, a, a pittance, but basically uh, managing the salary cap that way, and I, or even I a land Roche, which which wasn't so much a cap move as just well, trying yeah, that, to get that, value from a player different. who didn't want to be here. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a good bit of business, clear some cap room, and uh, primes the pump for the homegrown players to take that yeah. first off the bench sub role. And and like that's how it should have been, um, if we're being honest, like. The stuff that Segura was going to bring, uh, I feel like between Paredes and Yao is already there from those two. Um, And so at a certain point, um, you start to think of like, if you want to give those guys minutes, then you have to prioritize that somehow. Um, You have to find a way to get them into the game. And if you say, okay, I'm going to give those guys those minutes instead of Segura, it means that he's probably fourth choice on the right and fifth choice on the left Um, before. And that's, and let and, and if the new coach comes in and says, I think Flores needs to play on the wing, then it gets worse. Um, so when a player is that far down the roster, um, for whatever reason, yeah, it's time to if, if you find a market for that player, then you probably do need to move them on because MLS rosters are are capped. You don't have limitless roster spots where you can say, I want to be seven deep at every position. You can't do it. Um, you have to at some point say, like, we don't there's not a good reason for us to hold one more winger. Um the, it's the position in DC's deepest at. And so, yeah, give those minutes to as long as Paredes and Yao are earning the minutes, which this past year they did, keep giving them the minutes. Um, I think this is the at other positions, I would have been maybe more concerned of, of a shortage of players since we spent this whole year being sh- concerned with that. But 
the wide attacking positions are one area where I do not think we have to worry at all. Uh, the team is extraordinarily well stocked even after this trade. So it, it's it's one that makes a lot of sense for Segura as well because he was going to be stuck here not playing very much, quite frankly. Yeah, so good luck to Uli down in Austin. Um, moving on to the expansion draft itself. Uh, DC United was allowed to protect 12 players. They had five homegrowns automatically protected off limits. You don't have to use one of the 12 spots on them. Um, I have all those names written down, but I'm just going to focus on who's exposed, uh, in the draft just to not list a laundry list of names here. Um, the eight players technically who DC United control, who are exposed are Frederick Briant, uh, Earl Edwards Jr., O'Neill Fisher, Felipe Martins, Jordi Reyna, Helman Rivas, Chris Seitz, and Axel Schoberg. Uh, Schoberg and Fisher are are not in DC United's plans anyway. They're out of contract or um, and or or had an option that wasn't exercised. Yes. Um, and until the until the reentry draft, they they remain under DC United's control, but they will not be back here next year. And and since Austin has first dibs on the re-entry draft as well uh there's no they're not fisher and schuberg are not going to be a factor here because there would be unless austin has a complete misunderstanding of how mls works which it as we just talked about all these guys are familiar with the league so they really shouldn't and claudio um, has been through expansion drafts before yeah he's 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 actually seen his coach screw up if you guys remember right. the jason grace thing where yes. draft draft. in the maybe the most mls thing of all time we had a draft of drafts um and uh jason christ with the first pick in the draft of drafts took something one. he didn't mean to pick um and he immediately was like oh i said the wrong one um and they just had to live with that which uh is maybe a reason why he shouldn't have been looked at as a coaching candidate um among <laughs> others but um yeah this is those two players in particular are just not going to end up involved here because they're in the, they're there for the reentry draft um so those are guys that are going to, if if Austin wants them, and maybe they will, maybe Nolan Sheldon is like, listen, O'Neill Fisher is awesome, you should pick him. That's going to happen then. So they're not going to, we're not going to get lucky and have them take players that DC was already not going to do anything with. Right. It's possible that if they have several players who are going to be in the reentry draft that they're interested in, and they're afraid someone else might take them in the reentry draft, they could take them here and exercise the option then. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know how likely that is. It's been half a decade or more since you could get a substantial number of players in the reentry draft that were worth having at their contract numbers. Um, like I'm looking back at 2014 DC United. Sure. Um, it's been a long time since since the reentry like, draft. Was I feel like the first relevant. reentry the first reentry draft was the only reentry draft where you could pick multiple players in round one. It felt like. Everyone else there, wised up after that. Yeah, there were. I think the first couple, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, we don't need to think about a re-entry draft from like a decade ago. Um, true, to get true. to right, this one's also like, or this expansion draft, I should say, is a little different because now it's twelve spots. It didn't used to be twelve, mm-hmm. um, which is nice in a way because it helped DC protect. I mean, probably Eric that Sorga. Um, it. So yeah, it's it's nice that the league is very incrementally weaning itself off of the expansion draft as a whole because it probably we probably don't need to be doing this. Just give right. Austin I mean, some more money and let them figure it out on their own. 
you saw in the the half day trade window what the real roster building tool for expansion teams is mm-hmm. and it's gam it's general allocation money they spent they sent out a million dollars in general allocation money to acquire four or five guys um and that's that's those players are probably going to be ahead of the guys they get in the expansion draft like even if they get CJ Sapong who's available in this draft there's not a lot of names across the league that you look at you're like yes i want to build a team around that player right uh, and that's that's the that's how expansion drafts are designed they're not supposed to bankrupt the, the, the existing teams um you don't necessarily want a vegas golden knights uh every yes. time you have an expansion draft it means nothing to me the nhl hockey. team that that played the, their expansion draft extremely well and went to the um, stanley cup their first year okay. yes and then lost to and then lost the to washington the washington capitals um the names that jump out on on dc united's list i think frederick riant being one of three actual center backs on the team uh that obviously probably not but you never know the expansion drafts get weird man um i've heard that josh wolf wants to play a possession oriented style uh i've never heard of a coach wanting to do that before yeah i know strange thing for a coach to say yeah, um, you know, you got it. Eventually, MLS was going to grow up and somebody was going to try that. Uh, but I mean, he, in addition to coaching under Ben Olsen, he also came up under Greg Berhalter, who obviously has those kind of uh, predispositions. So I, I could see him going in that that kind of direction. I don't think Briant fits that. I The number of easy passes he badly missed this past year, um, he's not... He also that turns 36 this June. Yeah. Um, if you're an expansion team, uh, unless you're taking like a best 11 candidate, that age is going to be a, like a hard, like a hard line. You're just not I, taking guys will, that age. I will eat. I'll take a bite out of a raw onion. Like it's an apple. If they take, <laughs> uh, if Austin takes Fred Briant. Well, now yeah. I know what I'm rooting for in this expansion. <laughs> draft. Um, uh, other names that jump out, Helman Rivas. Uh, I, I've seen people complaining about his not being protected, um, and and Jordi Reyna, whose uh, option was exercised by DC United. So they he's in the plans, um, but he's exposed as well. Uh, Chris Seitz, I've heard, is close to a deal with to to come back. He's exposed. Felipe coming off his injury, uh, and and on a pretty hefty salary hit uh is also exposed um i think the biggest complaint i saw from people as far as the protected list is ola kamara who it's fair to say he underperformed this year everyone pretty much underperformed on dc united this year um but but i don't i don't understand people saying he needs to leave now that he's no, I mean, he's a lost player. That that makes no sense to me, and I've seen a lot of that out there. Yeah, I mean, he's he had he's had sixteen goals, eighteen goals, and fourteen goals in MLS seasons. Uh, you've got to give him more than a, a, a half a season and then a COVID season. Uh, he's he's proven that he can. He can score in this league, and with a new coach, you've got a, a and a full preseason and a full, hopefully, semi-normal season after maybe April. Uh, you've got to you've got to keep him around and let him see what he can do uh, in in the fullness of time. So, right, you mentioned that half season, and that half season, his 
goals per 90 were even above his career rate for MLS, yeah. if I, if I remember right. correctly. So he's, you know, it, it was something about 2020 where everyone underperformed. I don't think you can necessarily just pin that on, on him. Uh, I also assume I, oh, go ahead, Jason. Well, I was just going to say that this is also, you have to remember what the expansion draft is, which is when you're for- formulating a protected list, you're formulating a list of saying, how can I keep the other team from taking players from me? How can I assemble right. a list that keep, that makes them go to somebody else and bother them? Uh, that's what you're trying to do. Um, and if you look at the list that Dave Casper put together, all of these are players that I could see Austin saying like, yeah, we'll definitely take that guy. Um, and I include, um, you know, Chris Odoya Chem. He's not, he's, you know, Steve Goff had said that he, or actually no, the team had reported that uh, he is receiving yeah, they made him a qualified offer. offer. I'm sure it's for a pay raise and I'm sure he's going to end up being the right back next year uh, by, by all accounts. Um, but someone like him and Eric Sorka are at the bottom of the list and it's alphabetical, but it's also like, those are maybe the two players that I think were the closest to the edge. But if I'm talking about, if I'm in Austin and I say, well, here's a 20 year old that DC United had to compete with several European teams to sign as a forward. Uh, maybe I'm interested. Um, You've also got to remember that, as we've established now a couple of times, Nolan Sheldon uh, was with this team as of very recently. So uh, he's got a good handle on what everyone on the team is capable of and not capable of. And so there's no hiding um, anything from them. And so if you're looking at Kamara, um, like Ben, Ben cited his history in the league, like that's a lot of goals to leave on the table. To leave unprotected um, is a great way to end up losing that player. Uh, and getting 50,000 in GAM back, because that's all you get. If you have a one player selected, that's all you get. Um, and Ola Kamara's value, if, you've, if you're if you committed to the idea that he's got to go, his value on the trade market is more than 50,000 in general allocation money uh, right. by a lot. So even if you're advocating for DC to get rid of him, to make room for some other striker, there's an argument that you could make there that involves spending several million dollars of someone else's money, I'm sure. Um, which is all well and good, but you're still doing a bad job of MLS uh, roster management because you're giving him away for a pittance when you don't have to. You could give him away for a lot more if that's what you want to do. Um, if, so and, it's and if, up. You have to protect him. And if we know anything about Dave Casper, he knows how to maximize MLS assets. Right. He, he He's at home dealing with all of this weird MLS jargon. Like this for him is like, yeah, of course, I get it. Um so yeah, the, the protected list as a whole, the, you know, you look at it and there's no surprises on there. Um, I think if you asked every single person that writes for the site to put together their list of 12, I feel like everyone's gotten like yeah. 11 or 12 out of 12. Um, there just wouldn't, it, there's just not a lot of mystery here. Yeah, I think I go back to the coaching search as well. Um, mm-hmm. DC United is, has had multiple interviews with with all of the the potential finalists at this point. They're They're reported to be meeting with they've had their Pineda interview yet because right I I mean I'm sure they have only Monday yeah we don't know if they've well I think that was an additional one I think they've spoken with him more than once already right they're having an additional interview with him this week uh reportedly so we'll see how that goes hopefully we'll have something to talk about on next week's show on that front but when you have those multiple conversations you have to assume that getting the coaching candidates view of the roster and potential roles for different players and how they might fit into how the coach would want to play and how, you know, 
where the holes, what changes they'd want to make to the roster. That's input you would presumably get in that interview. I've never been in a high level sporting coaching position interview. I've never been a fly on the wall, but I think that would be pretty cool to, to experience, but I've never done it. I have to assume that that level of conversation is happening. And if it's not, I don't understand why not. So it's, I, I would say probable that most, if not all of the coaching candidates expressed that there is a role for Ola Kamara on this team going forward. They they've seen him. They, they understand what he can provide. Um, and in the right setup that, that plays to his strengths, he can be a, a huge asset. He could be a, a high goal scorer on this, on this team. So I, I understand the, the positive emotions people attach to Helman Rivas. He was fun to watch this year. He's, I, I hope he comes back. I hope he's not taken by Austin and I hope he comes back because he does provide a change of pace from Ola Kamara. And I think he seems to be like a good locker room presence as well. But I, I also think he's less likely to be taken. And I think that if you have a spot for Ola Kamara and you don't want to give him away for 50 grand, you protect him. That, yeah, and it's, it and it's it's MLS game theory. It's Helman Rivas from what we believe is is decently expensive, and he's not fully MLS proven yet. So that's why you leave him out there because you you gamble that Austin will go elsewhere because of his price tag. And you know, Hel- so Rivas won. Ben's right. Um, the price tag. The indicators are we don't have the salary information, but the indicators are. Um, that he's not coming cheap. So the salary tag is not going to lure Austin in. And also he turns 32 in March. Um, So you have to keep that in mind as well. Like again, um, teams in an expansion draft, unless they want to make, make some mistakes, they tend to go for mid twenties or younger guys because you're not getting superstars. So you want guys that can contribute to you for a couple of years now. Um, you're establishing some foundations, not shooting for your starting number nine. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can see an argument for taking Rivas, but when you look around what else is out there around the league, uh, Anthony Jackson, Hamel, uh, Maxi Aruti, uh, those guys are available. Um, if people at Austin think that they have the special formula to get Don Dwyer back on track after like 18 to 24 months of him being quite bad or, and, or injured, um, he's available. So there are other number nines that are younger, uh, and, uh, don't probably don't have, you know, Dwyer is pretty expensive, but, um, yeah, there, there's a good reason to expect that they're not going to take Rivas just based on what else is out there. If they wanted Rivas, they might end up trying to come back and trade for him, something like that. But I don't think this is the opportunity that they end up, uh, pursuing him either. I think he's safe. Yeah, I think that's likely. Uh, we mentioned a couple names around the league. Jason, did you have other thoughts on on the various exposed lists? Uh, I mean, just using it as a comparison for what DC has. Um, you know, I think we're kind of we're kind of fortunate here in that a lot of what DC left unprotected is also either something where there is probably a better choice uh, to be blunt uh, from elsewhere in the league. Uh, or there is a younger choice, or there's just a glut of players. You know, if, for example, like Felipe is unprotected um, and his salary might be a deterrent, his injury might be a deterrent, 
Uh, but another major factor here is that if you want a number six uh, from this group, you can get Harry Kitchen. You can get Wilfried Zahibo. Uh, Michael Azira is out there for, for a less expensive option. Um, if Austin really wants to get into some MLS troublemaking, they could take Will Trapp, who is apparently reportedly by uh, Sam Stachel and Paul Tenorio, very close to signing a free agent deal with uh, Minnesota United. But in the meantime, there's a window here where Austin could take Will Trapp and be like, good luck, guys, deal with this. Um, we've got the first rights to talk to him. So if Anthony um, Precourt really wants to maintain that Columbus connection. It, maybe. He and, and, his, and, his, and his healness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so Felipe is at a position that is very, is clogged with players who are capable MLS starters. Um Jordi Reyna is another one where if you look at what Austin already has in place, they've got Segura, uh, John Gallagher is another versatile attacking kind of player. Uh, Rodney Redis, one of the players they signed uh, from abroad uh, before, like months ago, I think. He is another sort of a, he can kind of do everything attacking winger forward type. Um, so they've got a lot of players that play like Jordi Reyna, where it's like he can play here, he can play, he can play up top, he can play underneath, he can play wide. Um, so he's not necessarily a player of need for them because they've already got some guys that are kind of already that role. And I'm sure they've earmarked some money for those attacking positions. So at a certain point, you're not going to pick Jordi Reyna because you've got a star player that you're spending a big chunk of your total roster spend is going to be at that same spot. Um, so like I said before, when I said that the job of assembling an expansion draft protected list is to keep the other team from bothering you. I think DC is set up pretty well. Just looking at the list of other players available, um, I'm not saying they're immune, uh, but I am saying that when you look at what else is out there, you would be hard-pressed uh, for Austin to say, this is the guy I definitely have to take, um, at either at the price tag or at the age or with the other players available. It's a good mix for DC. It's a bad mix for, for you know, if Austin is like, let's specifically take a DC player, they're going to have a hard time making that argument to themselves, quite frankly. You think that's true at the goalkeeping position as well? I see Chris Seitz there. I remember he performed real well this year. Nolan Sheldon obviously knows him. Um, I don't know what the goalkeeping core and the rest of the the league's exposed well, lists looks like. So I don't think this is the complete list because I just I did a quick perusal to just remove guys I didn't even think twice about. So I might have missed someone. Um, but the list I'm working on an article for this right right after we finish the podcast, but. Um, you've got guys like Luis Robles, uh, Clement Diop, uh, played better than he had in the past for Montreal this year. Um, uh, Ryan Mira from the Red Bulls. I think Red Bulls fans have historically badly overrated every goalkeeper they've had for like 15 years, but, um, he's not bad. Um, if David Jensen, if, who was supposed to be a starter over him is also available because they put both of their guys on the unprotected if, list. Uh, if sites David happen. Bingham. If Seitz happens to be the, the player that DC United loses, uh, I'm, I'll take that to the bank. I'd be, I'd like, I'd like Seitz to remain. But if that happens okay. to be the person, uh, that's that's a okay in my book. Yeah, I, I think it's most likely that they will end up looking elsewhere. Um, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they took Luis Robles. Um, just based, on, I mean, this this past year for Miami, he was actually pretty bad. Um, yeah. And he got hurt as well. He got hurt, but he he struggled this year a little bit. Um, it also appears that Miami is a chaos team, uh, given that they've 
reportedly told their coach, uh, not in certain terms, that he might be fired and he believed he was fired. And then he turns out he was told, or other people were told him that he's not actually been fired yet. Uh, he's not fired yet. Like, well, I mean, yet, why would you want to say? Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you go back from that? That's a chaos team thing to do is to tell your coach in that speak to your coach in a way where he thinks he's been fired but not actually fire him and then when it comes out being like well we haven't fired him yet um, you can't say that that's like the last thing that's not a chaos team that's a badly run team at that point um inter miami reminds me of a team in like a random team in the brazilian league um (laughs) is is the kind of thing that's going on there so maybe robles wasn't in his best state because in part because things were chaotic in Miami. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't know a lot about what went on in your Miami this year because it felt like they were supposed to be the team everyone talked about. And then they almost were like a completely silent team that was just in MLS, but nothing happened with them. Like there were no events surrounding inter Miami, even when they signed, they signed multiple players from Juventus and it was big for like a couple hours. And it was like, uh, old news. Um, the biggest thing that happened to them in my mind is the fact that, um, when uh, Gonzalo Higuain missed that penalty against Philadelphia and got into a fight over it. Um, that's like the highlight of their year. That's like the biggest news they made all year. Um, I mean, so, they, yeah. also, they also went from what? Uh, shoot, I can't even remember what it was. They went from uh, two to one up to losing two to one against DC United. So uh, yes. Uh, yes. They had so, a goal taken away on a, on a red card. And then, yes. One of, one of the uh, silliest moments of the entire season happened when the season actually sort of resembled a soccer season yeah the, uh, yeah. the, before, the before times yes um yes. we have yeah. many nesting levels of before times now um which is not a good way to be but yeah uh, to, to the question with goalkeeping whether it's sites or or earl edwards um you know if, if sheldon has a special insight where he's like you know if it weren't for it being bill hamid then these guys were actually maybe I mean, he's got some like training metrics and other stuff where he's like, no, no, these guys were doing an excellent job. Um, it's just that Bill Hamid is Bill Hamid. Um, then maybe Austin does go that way. Um, and that would be good for those guys because they get to play. Um, yeah. Look what happened to Park this year. Um, but on the other hand, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think Austin probably goes for a um, starter that's more proven. Uh, so Robles or Mira or maybe Diop. Um, probably not David Bingham. Uh, or like Cody Cropper is on that list. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, the more I look at this, the the less likely I, I feel, I feel like I would be very, a little puzzled by Austin taking a DC player, not necessarily out of disrespect for the guys that are unprotected, but more like you could have done this as well. Why didn't you do that? Um, right. And I, just I, by the numbers, there's yeah, going to be five players taken from 16 teams and no yeah. team can lose more than one. So the odds of a DC United player are not high, just based Ever on in our favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's another good point. Okay, at this, this point, is yeah. one of the things that has changed pretty radically because in the past, every team was in the expansion draft, and the expansion draft went ten rounds, and there were fewer teams out there. So the combination of that meant you're like, yeah, we're probably going to lose someone, even if even if our team is bad, we're probably going to lose someone. And you could lose two players. Yeah, um, yep. you could, you could pull one back and then still lose a yes. second. Um, and so the incremental, I mean, most of the changes have been incremental, but the one big one was it MLS saying suddenly it, you can only, only five players. You don't get any more than that. Um, so we're moving in the direction of what it should be, which is just MLS says, here's your money. Good luck. 
uh, but we are not there yet. And we've got, I think, I don't know, 17 years of expansion drafts to come because the expansion list it never stops. It always has to go up. Like yeah, the we'll economy, see. the economy, the arrow always has to go up. So everything has to make that work. Someday, maybe we'll reach stability. Well, one of the and one of when these that days, happens the is going to fall apart because all three of us will have expansion teams and we'll all be competitors. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe we that's, can have a cabal though. FC we Baltimore can... and the Richmond Kickers will all oh, be in MLS. Uh, if I am an FC, True. then I Baltimore demand to oppose me um, and heave me into the bay. And Just, Apple, the Chesapeake Bay Club will be your your team name. Um, no i think mls will reach stability on expansion at some point and when that date comes they will launch the north american super league with liga emikis and any notion of stability or or things remaining the same will will go out the window immediately I mean, uh, I which feel is fine like if, if it's any time in the next five years we're still gonna be talking about dc united as a major league soccer team and not a liga norte americana team because yes. i don't think we're gonna be there quite yet um, but I, and I think that's the that's when it's going to be. So I'm I'm yeah. I, I'll I'll spoil this. I'm sure future conversation. I'm kind of hype for the, the North for a while. Yeah, uh, I I've been hyping. I, I I love this idea so much. Uh, even though DC United has no place in it uh, for the next several years, at least they gotta got got some work to do before they they can play in that that particular sandbox. Anything else you guys want to hit on before we call it an evening? hearing nothing uh we're, we'll call it thank you all for for listening to filibuster find us at blackandredunited.com if you want to support us financially you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster find us on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red U for the website send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com we really do read them all even if we're, we're not great at responding which I'll, I'll put my hand up on that one um Download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Just uh, pick a friend and email them out of the blue with a link to our episode. We'll, we'll appreciate that. We'll appreciate however you spread the word. We appreciate all of you just for listening. Thanks again for Jason and Adam, or for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam. <laughs> talking myself in circles here. Save me, Jason. Say goodbye. I'm Adam. I'm Adam. I'm Spartacus. Thank you.